Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. I've got a few updates for you before we get to our stories this week. First, thanks to the hard work of two of our intrepid associate editors, Julia Zellman and Meredith Morgenstern, Tales to Terrify will be hosting our first-ever Flash Fiction Contest, which will open in a couple of weeks. Whether you're cooped up at home and need a project, or you're working during this frightening time and need an outlet to express your darker side, we encourage you to let the shadows out, to channel them onto the page in a delicious little morsel of flash fiction. Here's how it works. We provide you with an image prompt of a frightening piece of art, and you let your imagination run wild, either simply drawing inspiration from the image or interpreting the story the image tells and making it your own. All within just 1,000 words. Pretty simple, right? 
Stay tuned to our social media, where we'll be sharing more details, including how to enter, as we iron them out. While Julia and Meredith have been planning and organizing that, our other associate editor, Pete Morsellino, has been wrangling another project, the Tales to Terrify newsletter. Sometime back around this time last year, as we were undergoing our transition away from the District of Wonders, I set up a sign-up for the newsletter on our website. And then I promptly forgot about it. But with Pete's help, this thing is full steam ahead, finally. We're putting together what should be a fun little publication to deliver some darkness direct to your inbox. From interviews with authors and narrators, to insidious artwork and highlights from our staff, it'll give you a little glimpse behind the curtain and hopefully help you get to know the people behind the podcast just a little bit better. If you're not already signed up and you'd like to get on the list, head to our website, talestoterrify.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage where you'll find a link to sign up. Easy. And if you're already signed up, thank you for your patience. Last week, on the eve of our first anniversary as an independent podcast, I mentioned how much it would mean to us if you'd consider supporting our show on Patreon. And I have to say, we have some truly amazing listeners who answered that call. Alyssa Gingle, John Nemesek, Lance Boudreau, Beth Holdridge, and Daniel L. Feltham. I can't express how appreciative I am that you chose to take the plunge and become patrons of the show. Your contributions will help us to explore deeper into the shadows, create more fun and engaging content, and reward the efforts of all of the amazing people who contribute to making this show possible. As I've said before, every single dollar we raise, whether from the support of listeners through Patreon or PayPal, or from the advertisements you sometimes hear on the show, goes directly back into Tales to Terrify. The more support we muster, the more content we can produce, and the better we can make this show. So if you're not already a supporter, and you'd like to count yourself among those that make our terrors possible, I hope you'll consider signing up. By this point, I'm sure you know the drill. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify. Head there, sign up, and enjoy all of the benefits that come with being a Tales to Terrify patron member. But for the moment, I just want you to sit back and relax. Allow yourself to sink into a sense of security. Because we've got a couple of tales for you that I'm sure will put you right at ease. Our first story for the evening comes from Erica Schaaf. Erica Schaaf worked as an operating room nurse for many years before becoming a stay-at-home parent. A lifelong writer, she has had short stories featured in a variety of magazines and journals, including Blood Moon Rising magazine, Still Point Arts Quarterly, Visual Verse, and Jitter, as well as in numerous horror anthologies by publishers such as Black Hair Press, Fantasia Divinity, and Hellbound Books. To learn more about her work, you can visit her Facebook author page, at Erica Schaaf, 
or check out her profile in Black Hair Press's author showcase at blackhairpress.com. Links are in the show notes. Erica lives in rural Tennessee with her husband and two wild children. Children of the Night, join me for Erica Schaaf's The Quiet Parlor, a Tales to Terrify original. She mimed the strokes of a familiar melody across smooth ivory, her vision blurred by damp eyes. The glossy keys were motionless, yet she could clearly hear the notes that each one would produce were it to yield under the weight of her practiced hands. Behind her, the ticking of an old grandfather clock served as a metronome, its lulling rhythm coaxing her rigid posture to relax somewhat. A single tear welled over to trickle down her cheek, and she didn't bother to wipe it away. There you are, Lex! Her sister's voice from the doorway caused her movements to falter. She turned on her seat, giving the young woman a smile. Yeah, sorry, I was getting ready to come back out. No, no, you need a break. There are about fifty volunteers now, and more keep coming. It's overwhelming, really. Do you think they'll find her, Sarah? Lex's words were soft, almost a whisper. Yes? Her sister's eyes met hers, lines etched by concern and lack of sleep evident on the freckled skin surrounding them. It's only a matter of time. She can't have gotten far. Her gaze moved to the room's single window. Have you heard from Mom? Lex shook her head. Figures, Sarah breathed, pulling a cell phone from the back pocket of her blue jeans. She typed something quickly across the screen, then returned it. Let me know if you do, okay? Sure. Lex answered, but don't hold your breath. Sarah walked over to stroke Lex's pale hair, placing a kiss upon her forehead. The gesture was a distinctly maternal one, though there was only a two-year age difference between the women. For some reason, the action saddened Lex, causing her tears to flow more freely. It's all right, Sarah hugged her close. Grandma's going to be fine. We'll find her. Lex sniffled and rubbed at her eyes. I know. Sarah gave her a consoling pat on the back and a long, assessing look before turning to depart the room again. Lex sat in silence for a while, staring down at her lap. Her slender fingers were folded together tightly, their knuckles blanching white. She ought to go outside, she knew. Do something productive. It was her grandmother who'd gone missing, after all. It wasn't right to remain up here all alone. Rising slowly, she considered the open parlor door for a moment before turning instead to the lace-curtained window. Outside, the sky was a bright cornflower blue, punctuated here and there with white cotton ball clouds. At the front of the house, under the shade of a sprawling eucalyptus canopy, the search party was congregated. Its members broke off from the group intermittently, in twos and threes, to move into the forest, or else to greet the steady stream of newcomers filing in from the drive. Lex placed her palm flat up against the cool pane, the faint scent of mildew wafting into the room's placid air from off of the disturbed curtains. She saw her grandmother's friend Shirley seated at a long table in the center of the activity, handing out blown-up photographs of the missing woman. 
There was sweating plastic cups of lemonade in front of her set out in even rows for the volunteers. Her teased, faux-red hair bobbed as she spoke to the mass of people gathered around her, and Lex had the morose feeling that the woman might be enjoying all this activity just a little. Across from Shirley, nearer to the tree line, two uniformed police officers stood in conversation. One of them, Lex, recognizes the deputy who'd been at the house when she herself had arrived that morning. He'd been in the kitchen with her grandmother's home care nurse, Becky Stalls, taking down her statement. Lex had stood in the arched doorway, unnoticed by the two people at the table, and had strained to hear their quiet conversation. You come on the weekdays to help Rachel Ferris at mealtimes, is that correct, Miss Stalls? He'd asked in a smooth, clear voice. Across from him, Becky had been dabbing at her eyes with tissue paper. Yes, Rachel had a very minor stroke about five years ago and still has some mild dysphagia as a result. I come three days a week to help her at mealtimes. The remaining days are covered by other nurses at my agency. And you left here last night around what time? She was my last patient for the day. I left just after seven o'clock after I'd helped her clean up. Did she seem well to you at that point? Was there anything to give you concern? No, not at all. She seemed perfectly fine. Becky hesitated for a moment. I mean, she was worried about her daughter, Olivia, but that isn't anything out of the ordinary. Becky had taken a sip of her coffee then and fidgeted a little in her seat. Olivia suffers from severe mental illness, you see, and has had some issues with drug addiction in the past. Frequently, she disappears for days, even weeks at a time, and Rachel naturally worries. And she has disappeared? Becky had nodded. Rachel hadn't been able to reach her for a couple days, but, as I said, that's nothing too unusual. Does Olivia live close by? Becky had shaken her head. She moved out to the West Coast years ago. Her daughters Sarah and Lex do, though. They come by often to check on Rachel. They're on their way here? Yes, I called them this morning right after I hung up with the police. Okay, and what time did you arrive here? About 8.30, I had another patient to see before Rachel, in the city. Can you tell me what happened when you did arrive? Everything you remember. Well, I rang the doorbell as usual. I do have a spare key, but I prefer to announce myself. Anyway, when she didn't answer after ten minutes, I began to get worried. She knows what time I get here, you see, and she's usually waiting for me. I tried again, then called her number. I heard her phone ringing, but nothing else, so I decided to let myself in. I called out to her, and getting no response, went around the entire house looking for her. Thinking she might have had a fall, I even checked the bathrooms and the basement, calling her name the whole time, but nothing. That's when I decided to get in touch with the police. Did Rachel have any kind of condition that could have caused her to become confused? Alzheimer's, for instance? Or sundowners? No, nothing like that. Her dysphagia and some weakness in her left arm, both caused by the stroke, were the only maladies she suffered from. Lex had stopped listening at this point, turning away from the pleasant little kitchen. Now she stood just as silently, just as apart from things, only watching. Sarah emerged out onto the lawn, her strawberry blonde hair glinting gold in the sunlight. Lex observed her sister approach the throng of searchers as though it were nothing, could even imagine the honey-sweet smile that would adorn her sister's face as she thanked the volunteers and police officers. Tick, tick, tick. The sound from the clock was beginning to annoy Lex now. It cut through the silent room to muddle her thoughts, distracting her from her observations. A small group emerged from the tree line, its members talking and moving excitedly. They had found something. Tick, tick, 
Tick. She strode over to the grandfather clock, opened the face, and bent the second hand back hard until it broke off with a snap. She passed back over to the window, looking down at the police officers. One of them held something scarlet in his hands. Good, they found it, finally. She could imagine Sarah's wide eyes, the color of delphinium flowers, when she saw their grandmother's handbag. That it had been found in the forest would reinforce the notion that Rachel had simply wandered away. Perhaps she had been confused after all. It happened sometimes. As for Olivia, well, no one, aside from Lex herself, had even known that she'd flown back from California the previous night. Her disappearing act was not only not unusual, it was expected. Lex smiled. The silence was comforting. They were all out there, their attention turned away from Lex, away from the house. No one would come snooping around the basement, there would be no reason to. Certainly no one would check into the box freezer, which was hidden away in one shadowed alcove of that dimly lit room. No, she was safe. She could breathe. Contentment washed over her like a cleansing tide as she watched the search party, all but surely, hurrying into the forest. Maybe they would find the car keys too, though it really didn't matter at this point. Lex went back to the piano, moving her fingers in silence once again. There would be no more cruel words from her dear old granny. No more strikes from that damned wooden cane. No more abandonment by her coward of a mother. There was only Lex now, only the sound of her own breathing within the room. Creak. Lex froze. Just the house settling. To be sure, she got up to check the lawn. Shirley still sat importantly at her table, but there was no sign of anyone else. Creak. Lex gasped. It had sounded like the basement door opening. Impossible. But another noise broke through the silence, like light footsteps upon the staircase. Or had she imagined it? Creak. No, the sound was real and it was coming closer. Another moment passed before she heard it again, this time in the corridor just beyond the parlor. She stood with her back to the window, her mind working frantically at what she would say if they had found her out. Creak. Lex screamed. Two figures stood together in the open doorway, but they were not the police officers she had been fearing. One was a tall, gaunt, elderly woman with silver hair. She wore a cotton nightgown stained with dried blood. Her neck had been bent back like the clock's second hand, and was lolling over to one side to rest upon a bony shoulder. Her knees were twisted too, badly bruised and shattered at the kneecaps. The other figure was a middle-aged woman with long, skinny arms marred by track marks. Her body had been broken as well, though not quite as brutally. Lex fell to her knees, trembling as the two women approached her, their thin lips turned up into menacing grimaces. You deserved this! Lex tried to tell them, but her own lips seemed to have fused together. They came closer. Two sets of pale, periwinkle eyes looked down intently at the huddled form of her. Again, she tried to scream, tried to call out, but there was no sound. Nothing to break the quiet of the parlor. That was Erica Schaefs, The Quiet Parlor.
is read by Tina Kolakowski. Tina Kolakowski lives in a suburb of Denver with her husband, three children, two dogs, and five chickens. She is a research scientist by day and divides her free time between all of her dependent life forms, the garden, writing, crafting, and recording. She has previously done narrations for the Doonstief audio fiction magazine, Rish Outcast, and Journey into Podcasts. Her infrequent writing can be found on tinasjarofawesome.blogspot.com. Thank you, Tina. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Our second story comes from Jeff Gander. Prior to writing fiction, Jeff Gander was heavily involved in the role-playing community, and he writes for a variety of gaming companies like Sentinel Hill Press, Fat Goblin Games, and others. His horror and science fiction has been published by MetaHuman Press, AE Sci-Fi, Exile Editions, Nelson Publishing, and Third Flatiron Publishing, and one of his horror pieces is currently being made into a short film. When he isn't writing or working a day job, Jeff likes to read, entertain his two boys, explore abandoned buildings, and play role-playing games. Jeff lives in South Mountain with a lovely stone-carving, bagpipe-playing witch and her many cats. Listen with me, children of the night, to Jeff Gander's Neon Blue, a Tales to Terrify original. Alan cleared his throat and wiggled in the hard plastic seat. 
Professor Barrick, I read the stuff you sent me. I'll do it for the credit. The older man smiled. I think you've made a wise choice, Mr. Shang. Yes, um, I'm sorry I didn't do better in the course. I... Barrick waved his hand. I'm no stranger to students being in your situation. Pikmin University wants all of its students to succeed. Alan nodded. His dad had promised him an internship at the firm if he got his B.A. It wouldn't be great, but it was something. But here he was at the end of his program, needing one lousy pass mark on his credit. Whoever said intro to psych is a bird course should be shot. Barrick flipped through the pages of a slim leather notebook and glanced up. His eyes narrowed as Alan's flying thumbs tapped a message on the bright neon blue screen of his phone. Sorry. Alan blushed shoving the phone into his pocket. He was so going to the party tomorrow night. Hopefully, Sue would come. She still hadn't replied to his invitation from yesterday. This is not the time for that, said his not-fun inner voice, the one he'd managed to ignore for almost four years. It's all right. I was young, once, said Beric. Now before we begin, I have something for you to sign. A formality, really, but the university's guidelines are quite clear on these matters. He pushed a sheet of paper toward Alan and laid a pen beside it. Alan picked up the pen and gazed at the dense mass of text. He blinked and leaned closer. The university shall be held harmless in the event that the participant experiences any of the following during or after the experiment, it read. He scanned down the list of things that could happen, cringing inwardly as they got progressively worse. His pen hovered over the signature block at the bottom. Is there a problem, Mr. Chung? Alan looked up. No, it's just... Does all this stuff have to be on the form? The university's legal department wants to cover every eventuality. However, he added, leaning forward, you also have the option of writing the supplementary term paper. There are still three weeks left in the term. Alan winced. Outside of texting, he had never been a keen writer. He signed the waiver and slid it back. Thank you, said Beric. You're the first participant. I think you'll do well as a control subject. Let's get started. He led Alan through a narrow doorway half hidden behind a bulky wooden filing cabinet in a narrow, windowless room lit by a fluorescent panel. In the far corner sat what looked like a barber's chair, a metal trolley laden with cables, plastic tubes, and a collection of small metal boxes covered with blinking lights stood next to the chair. Have a seat while I set up. The worn leather padding crackled as Alan eased himself onto the lumpy cushion. Alan's phone played the first bars of Ode to Joy. His heart quickened. Sue. I shall have to ask you to keep your telephone turned off, said Beric. Sorry. Alan turned off his phone. Would she be coming? He fidgeted while Beric connected a couple of cables to what looked like a filing cabinet festooned with wires looming in the corner. He wanted this experiment to end so he could see what fate had in store for him tomorrow night. The machine began to hum when Beric flipped a switch on the side. What's that for? asked Alan. This machine sends electromagnetic waves to your brain in the same range as alpha waves, as you will no doubt know from the course readings, said Beric, not looking up. Alan bit his lip. Crap, what was that about? Think, think, think. Maybe he should have studied harder, or at least more than skimmed the information Beric had sent him. So, this will relax my brain? In a manner of speaking, Beric untangled a thin yellow wire and connected it to one of the blinking boxes on the trolley. You may feel drowsy, but it will calm the background chatter of your mind. 
Maybe this won't be so bad, thought Alan. At least I'll graduate. Dad will never have to know how I did. I believe everything is in place, said Beric. Hold still while I put this on you. He slipped a bicycle helmet dotted with electrodes over Alan's head and attached the connecting wires to the box on the trolley. Alan shivered as his scalp prickled, and he jerked as Beric tightened the strap under his chin. Relax. Listen to what I say. Pay no attention to any noises or lights at the beginning. They're just byproducts of the calibration process. Beric pressed a series of keys grafted onto a circuit board resting on the trolley. The tempo of the boxes flickering intensified, and they emitted a low-pitched hum. He crossed the room and turned out the light. Alan blinked in the sudden darkness. A morphous silhouette slowly emerged in the flickering glow of the indicator lights. Now, said Beric as he sat down, did you understand the literature I sent you? Not really, said Alan sheepishly. The articles about dimensions and realities had enough formulae to make his head spin. I'm not really into physics or stuff like that. I will explain what you need to know. Beric's seat creaked as he shifted. Many people assume that reality is objective, but our environment, senses, and psychological makeup shape our perceptions. This begs to question, can we change our reality by altering our perceptions? You're going to hypnotize me? This goes beyond making you think something is different. Have you ever wondered why there are no new fairy tales? Not really. I see, said Beric, disappointment creeping into his tone. I suspect that our oldest tales came about at a time when the human mind filtered far less of what it experienced. There were no political, religious, and psychological notions to define things, or fancy gadgets to distract us. But suppose things existed today that we can't see, because we filter them out. That would be hard to prove, said Alan. He was starting to think this experiment would be a dud, and he would walk out with an easy pass mark. We know that all things vibrate at certain atomic frequencies. And when two things resonate at the same frequency, they can interact with each other. Suppose that dragons, spirits, and the like were inspired by real entities who exist on another atomic frequency that we can't, or no longer can, normally detect. Because we filter them out? Yes, but what if the filters that I mentioned earlier, politics, religion, and whatnot, were created deliberately? Why shut them away? Alan shrugged. This was starting to sound like another seminar. Beric flipped a couple of switches and the droning of the machine rose in pitch and grew softer. Alan jerked as the sensation of pins and needles danced over his fingers and toes and slowly crept up his limbs. Why do I feel so heavy? Think about our stories, said Beric slowly. Ask yourself if these things are real. Are they real? Are they real? Did Sue text me? Shut up and focus. Alan let out a long, slow breath and closed his eyes. If there really are invisible things running around, what else do we miss? His last girlfriend had dumped him because he had spent too much time online and hadn't noticed when another guy caught her interest. We've distanced ourselves from what is real, said Beric. We've invented religion and philosophy to recapture and understand that fundamental sense of wonder, but they're pale imitations. Alan thought about his own life, a blur of parties and classes illuminated by the cool neon blue of his phone while empty words and numbers flitted before his eyes. Is that real? What would a mystical experience be like? A cold, heavy pressure settled on his left thigh, then vanished.
Alan shuddered and his eyes shot open. The flashing lights of the instrument panel illuminated Beric's grinning face. The readings are picking up. His voice had a metallic ring as though he were speaking down a long pipe. Alan shook as something wire-thin and frigid needled his scalp. But I'm wearing the helmet. He looked up. Nothing obscured the shimmering gloom created by the blinking lights. Another spike, said Beric. Remember to describe everything you sense and feel. A burst of low static erupted behind Alan's ear. His eyes darted around the room. The lights on the trolley flickered. Beric, hunched over the panel, seemed not to have noticed. The static sounded again, louder, and from the other side of the room. Did you hear that sound? Like static? asked Alan. Is that how it sounded to you? Curious. Alan squinted at the source of the continued noise. A man-sized shape, darker than the surrounding gloom, loomed in the far corner. Alan rubbed his eyes. The shape now stood next to the trolley, behind Beric. Did it go through him? The intermittent lights cast it into sharper relief. It was a deeper black than the surrounding darkness, with two stick-like limbs radiating from either side of its bloated, elongated torso. The shape seemed to vanish into a fog toward the floor. He swallowed. Did you feel anything? He asked in a small voice. Something's here. It was in the corner. And it moved without walking. Beric shifted. A brief feeling of warmth. He replied, I, he straightened, I hear words, he said with a tone of wonder. The shape inflated slowly. It had one thick limb on each side now, and a bulge on its top came into view. Is that a head or an arm? A series of static bursts, some longer and louder than others, lanced Alan's eardrums. Do you hear it speaking? whispered Beric excitedly. All I hear is static, said Alan. The shape, now brushing the ceiling, reached for him. Alan shied away from the serpentine extremity, whose end bore writhing digits that stretched toward him. Are those eyes on its fingers? It brushed against him. His arm grew numb, then erupted into a hot, dull ache. He bit back a yelp of pain. That's it, he hissed through clenched teeth. I'm done. Yes, said Beric in a distracted tone. Did you hear me? asked Alan. A fresh burst of static assailed him, and the world swam. He sank into the chair. They have forgotten us, said a voice, single yet many. They cast us aside. Heat flashed up his spine. His muscles spasmed, and he gasped through clenched teeth. He felt like a too-small suit being tied up. Not this one. The sensations passed and Alan sagged. The static crackled in his ears and the air seemed to vibrate in cadence with it. The thing towered above him, reaching down with its arms. The professor continued to mumble, paying Alan no heed. I'm out of here. Alan ripped off the helmet and rolled off the chair away from the thing. He staggered upright and jostled Beric as he passed. What are you doing? Well, put the helmet back on. Alan backed away, shaking his head. I don't care if these things are real or not. You mustn't say that, said Beric. They've been alone so long.
they'll grow angry. The doorknob pressed into the small of Alan's back. He twisted the knob and stumbled backwards into Barrack's office. The rectangle of light framed Barrack rising from his seat, being enveloped by smoky tendrils that were growing insubstantial to Alan's eyes. He yanked the door shut and snatched up his backpack as he dashed out to the elevators. He jabbed the call button and sagged against the wall, listening as he waited for his heart to stop pounding. A faint crash echoed down the corridor. Am I imagining this? He pulled his phone from his pocket and touched the screen. He sighed with relief, basking in his phone's welcoming neon blue glow. A couple of texts awaited his attention. Sue's name was in the inbox. A surge of excitement ran up his spine. His fingers stopped halfway toward tapping her name to open the message. What if it is real? Alan looked down the corridor. He strained his ears to listen. Silence. Barrett could be lying dead in his office. He started to go back. Alan stopped. Things like what he had seen. Had he seen it? Might be lurking everywhere around him. But if they had always been there, they hadn't done anything to him. And they weren't doing anything to him now. A loud bing announced the elevator's arrival. The doors jerked open. There would be questions, especially if it looked like he had run off. What would he say to his friends? His family? He clenched his phone and looked into its cheery neon blue screen. Sue would probably think he was a coward. Or worse, if she found out that he hadn't done anything. He cursed. Alan crept back toward Barrack's office. He listened at the door. A faint scraping sound broke the silence. He pushed the door open. Barrack's office was as Alan had left it moments before. The laboratory door remained closed. He edged inside and glanced behind the office door. No one jumped out at him. What the hell am I doing? I should call campus security and let them deal with it. He called up the university directory on his phone. A muffled moan came from the laboratory. It would make sense to check things out first. He remembered a bit of first aid. Alan pushed the laboratory door open slowly. The light from the office illuminated a floor strewn with tangled wires mixed with scraps of paper. Alan cocked his head. All of the machinery had gone silent. Professor? It's me, Alan. A loud thud sounded from the darkness. Alan opened the flashlight app on his phone and shone the wan neon blue beam around the room. The trolley was on its side. The now darkened cubes scattered across the floor like a child's forgotten building blocks. Fresh rents marred the worn upholstery on the chair. A weak moan arose again from the far corner. Alan shone the light toward the sound. Barrick was crouched in the far corner, head between his knees and shaking. Alan crept toward him, stepping over a tangle of mass cables and broken circuit boards. The tang of human sweat hit his nostrils. Are you okay? Alan placed a hand gingerly on Barrick's shoulders. The older man started and jerked upright. His bloodied hands uncovered his face. Ragged eye sockets met Alan's gaze in the harsh neon blue glow of his phone. Won't see it, Barrick murmured. A chuckle escaped his lips. Alan sat hunched over the gentle neon blue glow of his phone on a park bench. The booming techno beat in his earbuds drowned out thought and the threatening buzz of passers-by. A message popped into his inbox amid the constant flow of words merging and separating endlessly before his eyes. His breath caught. A message meant information, ideas, thoughts. They told him thoughts couldn't hurt him. But he knew better. He'd seen it, despite what they said. 
His fingers hovered over the icon. Once he opened it, he couldn't put it back again. He couldn't unsee. He glanced at the name on the message. It was Sue, inviting him to a party. He sighed and smiled. The sun emerged, bathing the park in golden light. Alan looked up. No shadows, just a blur of people. Only people flowed around him. I don't see it, he murmured to himself. A slow smile spread across his face. That was Jeff Gander's Neon Blue, as read by Drew Mallory. Drew Mallory is a research psychologist and interventionist who works on issues that affect vulnerable populations. When not narrating or voice acting, he authors his own dark fiction. Drew currently lives in Belgium, where he works on sustainability issues and, like every good psychologist, is accompanied by his pet rats. Thank you, Drew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. If you have the means, we would love your support on Patreon. You'll get access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and more. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if you'd like to donate through PayPal, you can find a link near the bottom of our homepage And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter, too? And if you enjoy the evil we ooze into your ears each week, why not help us to spread the darkness with a rating or a review on your favorite podcast app? Ratings and reviews are crucial to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They help us to get the word out so we darken the dreams of new listeners. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we stretch the limits of your sanity with more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.